This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Dominic Desaia is a hustler. The guy flat out busts his butt to get work and make great images. He's been doing it for years, starting out as a kid getting autographs from athletes, to now as he's opening up a photo studio in Los Angeles called 14 Studio. I wanted to talk to Dominic because I believe he has made one of the most iconic images of the late great Vin Scully. He, he was very um, nonchalant about everything and very easygoing. And, you know, I just said, do you mind holding this? Said, sure. And, you know, he was super sweet guy and just took direction and was just kind of enjoying. It felt like he was enjoying it. You know, he was he was asking me when it was going to come out and if he could get a copy of it and, you know, all this sort of thing. It was funny because it felt like it sort of felt like it was his first time doing a shoot like that. And I know that, like, he's probably turned down a million of them and done another million of them. And, but I think maybe that's just the way he was. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from cancer survivors, small business owners, and Los Angeles Times photographer, Louis Cinco. We have, like, the last fun jobs in the world. Right. I mean, if you don't pigeon yourself, pigeonhole yourself into a certain beat and you just like want to explore the world, what better way to do it than an L.A. Times photographer? One day, and this happened to me, you can be in a war in Libya. And then three days after you get back from that, they're saying, oh, by the way, you're credentialed for Coachella. Right. It's surreal almost. But damn. You know, if you really look back at it, it was good. It was interesting. It was fun. The rest of my conversation with Lewis can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break from a sponsor for diving into my conversation with Dominic Desaia. Dominic, I am sitting in this beautiful studio. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming. This is gorgeous. Thank you. Thank this you. is great. Yeah. I think the last time I saw you, we were in a shitty photo well. I, I'm probably true. <laughs> now it's we're in a beautiful true. studio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How's the world treating you? Uh, pretty good. Yeah. I can't complain. Yeah, I've got a good life. Get through uh, COVID okay? I did. I did somehow. How's the nose? I know you said you just got a test. You get, uh, did we'll you do the yeah. deep swab? Yeah. I don't, they didn't go too deep, so I think I'm going to be all right. How many, how many tests do you think you've had? Oh boy, hundreds and hundreds. I, I don't. I have no idea. Because you're in that world, right? We talked yeah. about it before we hit the record button. Yeah. Advertising, commercial, everybody on set. Yeah. Is getting tested. Yeah, getting tested, and you know, most of these jobs are one or two days, so everybody wants you to test for each job, and Just so a it's a couple times a week if I'm busy, if not more. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. It's the life of the photographer. It is advertising. It is. How did you find your love for photography? Where did it start for you? Um, you know, I, my dad brought home uh, a camera and... You make it sound like a puppy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he, it kind of was just for found me. One. <laughs> well, I mean, he, so my dad was a doctor and, and, and he had purchased a camera. I can't remember what, but it's something to do with something he needed it for work. And he had brought it home to kind of figure out what he was going to, you know, figure it out and mm -hmm. test it out. And I got my hands on it. And, um, I was a big sports fan at the time. How old are you? Uh, I want to say 10 or 11. Okay. Um, and I just started playing with it and asked him if I could take it to an angels game and try to 
take pictures from from the stands and <laughs> you know I was playing with um multiple exposures and all kinds of things just just messing around and um is this early digital or still film no this is still film wow yeah it's okay. still film in fact he had purchased a bunch of slide film because that's what he needed to use for whatever he was doing okay so I, I ran across, I found these slides not too long ago that I shot way back then. Um, I'm trying to remember who was on the team then and, and what, I can't remember the players. What year? Years. I, I couldn't even tell you. Late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, it would be somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah. It would probably be late, late 80s. Those are some pretty ugly teams. Yeah. Yeah, you're but, a diehard Angel fan if you went to games back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I grew up, I mean, hanging out at the stadium and getting autographs and right. asking players for broken bats. It was still enclosed, right? The Rams yeah. were still playing there. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I was a ball boy for the Rams. Were um, you really? Yeah, only only during training camp for a couple okay. of years. But like lived in the in the dorms with the players. Eric Dickerson years. Right. You know, Jim Everett, Eric Dickerson. Those are good years. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a good experience. That's awesome. So anyway, yeah, so I was just playing around with it, and, you know, I, I enjoyed it, and I just took to it really easily and just made sense to me, but um, it were was... You, were you visual beforehand, or you were a drawer, or did you kind of set things up in your mind? And yeah, for sure. I was definitely, I've always been visual. I don't know that I knew it at the time, but looking back, for sure, um, drawing things and sort of making movies with an old camcorder and just doing those sort of things. Um, but I sort of, after that, went a different direction. It wasn't until much later after college that I came back to photography. So there was a, a big gap there where I wasn't really pursuing it. I mean, I, I think I appreciated it, but I wasn't doing it for a long time. Was, what, was, what was the part that brought you back? So I was playing music in bands, and I was a terrible bass player but enjoyed being in bands because it was okay. fun. And um, we were playing, you know, we'd mostly rehearse or play shows at night and <clears throat> wasn't doing anything during the day, and I wanted to fill my time, so I signed up for classes at Santa Monica City College okay. and just started taking photography classes and sort of fell in love with it again. I mean, I knew that I was interested and I liked it, and I was dabbling in photography once I was in the bands, you know, just carrying a camera with us. Right. But getting into that program, um, yeah, just switched it on for me. And I left music and kind of pursued photography after that. Was, was there a certain moment that was a spark or an assignment or something? Um, I don't think so. I think it was just generally the you general. slow fall in love. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah just being around it and... and spending time doing it and right. just, you know, realizing that I was more visual than I was a musician and yeah. What was that first year like with, you know, starting to fall back in love with it and were you experimenting again, multiple exposures and slide and color? Were you in the dark room? Well, yeah, it started, they make you take a dark, they made you, I don't know anymore, but they made us take a dark room class to start. So it was all black and white film and you would shoot, shoot an assignment process you know, develop and then make prints. So I, I think, I think being in the dark room, it's such a, a lot of people haven't experienced it or won't anymore, but it's such a magical process. It's hard not to kind of fall in love with it. Everybody you know? uses that word yeah. magical. It really is. Yeah. 
it's as close to being like David Copperfield as yeah. we can be. Like yeah. watching that white paper yeah. change in front of you with that smell. Yeah. And just seeing it f- go into liquid and then an, an image sort of appear on it, it. Yeah. There's no other word for it, but magical. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's a shame that that's not sort of the norm now. And I, I understand why, but I think uh, it's too bad that more people won't experience that young photographers just sort of see that process and have those experiences. I think us learning slow that way, right? We had to shoot it. We couldn't just be wild. Our film cost too much to just bang out a hundred photos at the skate park or whatever. Go back, develop it, make prints that slow, that process. If you had to touch them up, mount it like that whole, it's all those steps made us better because each one was a building block. Yeah. It made you have to be really, really good at what you did and and be precious about the process, not spray and pray and just, you know. I mean, I still, when I can, shoot film mainly for myself, sometimes on jobs, because it slows me down, because it makes me really think things through Mm -hmm. and not just, you know shoot just hoping something happens right i'll, I'll find it yeah. in that frame yeah no 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 let's make it in yeah. that frame i know that's but, yeah and it slows down your subject too i mean i have a big four by five slr camera that um graflex mm-hmm. and whenever i take that out you know i shoot mainly athletes their kind of demeanor changes because it's something they haven't seen they're not used to it it feels special to them so you can get more out of them sometimes or get uh, just a different performance from them because they feel like oh maybe this is different from the 4,000 other times I've been shot this year and so and I'm always looking for something special if I'm going to take a portrait or take a photo I want it to you know stand out so right that's one tool at kind of getting at least the subject to feel what I'm trying to do is do something different and elevated and right special I, I remember you had shot Howie Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that. right. And I remember him telling yeah. me later in the clubhouse, like, that's oh, right. my God, yeah, yeah. He, he had a four by five, and a, it was yeah, huge, yeah. it was massive. And I'm like, okay. And he was, like, so excited. Yeah. Like, weeks earlier, he had a multiple different shoots. He never said anything to me. But yeah. bringing out that four by five. It's, yeah, that's a great example. I right. had forgotten about that. Yeah, you. it's like bringing a yellow lab to the shoot. Yeah. Every girl wants to pet it. Exactly. All of a sudden, you yeah. bring out a four by five, everybody changes, and, like, that was so always used in that period of time when that thing was 40, right. 50, 60. Now you bring out this giant thing. Yeah. Whole process slows down. Yeah. I must be important. Yeah. He's bringing out film. Yeah. He's bringing out the robot, this yeah. big beast. I know. It's a beautiful thing to shoot film with your subject still to this day. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, all, it's, it's very much like shooting on short strobes or shooting available you shoot available you can shoot 30 frames a second yeah shoot on strobes you're, you're gonna slow down yeah yeah, yeah. i love that i yeah. love that a lot yeah were you what was your plan in college were you thinking i'm going to kind of follow this path or that path or were you just still immersing yourself uh, well, I went, so before Santa Monica City College, I went to UCLA and studied political science. Right, so which makes a lot of sense for a photographer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to be president of the United States. And, I, your, white, and your own White House photographer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so well, that, Did I, you ever see Al Gore's book that he did when he was vice president? I did not. He was a huge shutterbug. Oh, wow. And he took pictures, his wife and him, 
what was her name? Uh, someone would take, would, would take pictures on their trips. Okay. And he did a book when he was done. Interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting from his point of view, right? I don't think the president could do it because it's too busy for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vice president's got all the time Right, in the world. he's got all the time in the world. <laughs> yeah. And he did it with a point and shoot. Okay, I was so, just going to ask what kind so of camera. So he just would pull that thing out, yeah. snap, put it in his pocket. Do you know it, what which camera specifically, or what? Uh, was it like was like a really nice one, or just probably some, some just generic Olympus, yeah. Pentax, you know, something small, yeah. teeny, you know, like that big. That yeah, because they, they were pretty small back then. If it was, you know, if you had a single, I guess it was twenty eight or twenty four, some funky number somewhere twenty seven yeah. millimeter, and it just would pop out a little bit and shoot. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I'll have, to ch- I'll have to check that out. Yeah, but there's a really cool photo of him in, I don't know why, I remember this, but it's so odd. He's on a phone in a, a in a box, so it's a Secret Service brings you a telephone box so you can make calls and not get bugged <laughs> or anything. But he's dressed up as Frankenstein because they're, they're at a ballroom party or some <laughs> costume party, and his wife took a picture of him. So he's in this box, threw a little window in it, and he's on the phone with the bolts on the green. That's and hilarious. Yeah, and you're just like, this is brilliant. Like, this yeah. is better than the actual photographer could have got you. It's so yeah. intimate. Well, it's, it's the access, you yeah. know. I mean, to be honest with you, when I got started, that was something I was really drawn to. I wanted to do projects where you could follow one interesting person and kind of have a collection and make put a book out it just Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to happen anymore there's just everyone is a photographer everyone's got an iphone so there's less of that idea of having a photographer be with you and and kind of document your day-to-day for some of these people that you know interesting people that do different things um yeah i think it's it's too bad in a way that it's so accessible that that's sort of not happening um, you know, like the book that um, Walter Eos did with, with Jordan, Michael right. Jordan. So just something like that where you can shoot someone enough to have a, have, um, a collection of work that you could put together and, and right. put out. But Yeah, he did one with Cal. He yeah. did one with Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr. Jr. Yeah. And I think a lot of those guys wanted their book because he did one with Mike. Yeah, exactly. But the difference was is he... He had started with Mike early in his career, so it had this nice arc yeah. to it. And I've thought about approaching interesting athletes and say, I want to do a book like like the Jordan book. But again, the problem is that they all have people they're comfortable with that can right. take a picture, um, it, you know, whether they're a photographer or not. It's just, they don't see the need to have somebody else around. Um, right. Walter also had a st- was completely established by yeah. 85 when he talks to Michael about it. Yeah. I mean, he's much older. I mean, he's he was probably in yeah, he was probably in his 50s by the time he was doing that with Michael. Yeah. 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 And and like you said, everybody's got a phone, they got social media, why do they need you? What's a big deal? No one buys books. Yeah. And half the time they have someone that travels with them already that has another purpose that they just throw that on top of like you know, <laughs> they do what, my that, TikTok. Why yeah, <laughs> or, or even someone that's not even creative. You know, their manager's always with them, or whatever, and just take the phone out and cover certain things, and right. they feel like that's enough. So it, it's a it's a tough thing, I think, to talk people into um, these days. But it's a beautiful thing when you see it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I saw a gentleman I had on the podcast, Paul Kennedy. He shot the Williams girls like. In height, when what they would have been like junior high, mm-hmm. 12, 13 years old, 
I mean, unbelievable stuff. He had access for months. Yeah. But then as I was kind of done with the story and just moved on. Yeah. If he had kept going for another just uh, 10 yeah. years, five yeah. years, yeah. just the beginning years. Or even checked in every couple of years and right. kept adding to the, <sighs> the story arc. Yeah. My God. Yeah. It's been great stuff. Yeah. I just think it's tough to talk people into the the importance of, of that. I mean, even some of the teams, I feel like, I mean, I, I've never been a team photographer, but I don't think they see it the way we see it as far as documenting something. They don't see the value. Very yeah. few see the value. But I think they see the value in having assets that they can use to market or tell that day's story. But as far as like keeping a historical archive of the history of the team and sport, um, yeah, I just don't think they they see it. All right. The value in it. Um, I would argue there's a huge value, but. Yeah. So you're a political science major. What, what all of a sudden at UCLA and you decide, eh, politics um, isn't my thing? <laughs> well, I, I wanted to be, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. And um, quickly decided I didn't anymore, but I wanted to finish. And I, I, I was, my classes were interesting. I enjoyed them, but I didn't really have much of a plan near the end. And then I started playing music while I was still there and sort of knew I was going to finish my degree and then give music a shot. Um, and it was just a random, had a really good friend I met at UCLA that played guitar and, and he had a friend that played drums and needed a bass player. I'm like, oh, I'll go buy a bass, oh, figure it out. It <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I really had no business doing it, but it was fun for the, for the time it lasted. So thank God you found, you know, Santa Monica college and yeah, you know, yeah. you fell in love with the camera all over. Yeah. Again. I, th yeah, for sure. I, I'd be <laughs> curious where I would be. I mean, I wonder if I would have ended up here anyway, you know, doing something in photography or... Or just a, you know, lousy lawyer taking pictures. Yeah, yeah. A lousy lawyer that can't play bass. Yeah. <laughs> taking, taking all the firm's headshots yeah, and stuff. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So at Santa Monica, then where's, where's your path? What are you thinking? Like, what am I going to do? So I was, so like I said, I started taking classes just because I had days off and I wanted to fill my time and do something interesting. And um, my band broke up, I can't remember, maybe six months, eight months into me kind of taking classes at Santa Monica. And I was, I was kind of going through the program that they had set up where, you know, there's sort of a, a path you go, certain classes you take if you want to go all the way through and get your degree. Right, I don't yeah. know if it's called a degree. Uh, but Certificate or yeah. AA in photography or something. And I think I decided I didn't want to do the whole program, but I wanted to keep doing the classes that interest me. And then, so my band broke up, and I sort of just decided I was done with music. Uh, and one of my professors there suggested that I... Um, sign up or apply for this internship with a celebrity photographer as as one of the classes so you could go work for him I think it was once or twice a week and get get credit for a class and his name was Grove Pashley and he shot a bunch of uh celebrities for mainly editorial stuff and he had his own studio and um so I did that, and that kind of got me moving down the path of understanding how everything worked and um, and understanding what an assistant did and that I could make a living, you know, being an assistant to, to a photographer and learn while I was making money basically. Right. And cause I've always kind of learned better doing than I have being taught something. Um, 
putting your hands on it. Yeah, and just yeah. yeah, just get it quicker than if I'm hearing someone just explain it. So um, yeah, that was sort of the start of moving down the path that got me where I am now. I think that's interesting. That yeah, that that it was it's slow. It's a slow path, but there was yeah. some learning blocks early on that got you going. Yeah, definitely. That kept kind of pushed me in the direction that I ended up going that I think was the right direction. So where are you going from there now that you're you're working with him and you do you finish the program or those courses and then kind yeah, of Yeah. I did not finish the program. I think there were Or at least what you were taking you found. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I I took You got the, what you wanted out of it. Exactly. I took the classes that I thought made sense for me. And you know, I was a little bit older than the other people and, right. it, and I was kind of ready to I was anxious to kind of get going and with assisting you know as an intern that photographer I knew that I could from there just try to get in that world of assisting and getting paid to do it and kind of hopefully speed up the process um do you do you feel it helped having some years under your belt at UCLA you're a little older instead of being like 19 you're yeah. old enough to okay I've been around a little bit I know how school works yeah for sure it definitely helped and just how the world works a little bit you know and right. you know and just had a little bit more confidence and less wide-eyed but i yeah. understand yeah and a pr- you know so what i did from there is i made a list of photographers that i like their work sent them all a letter saying that you know what my background was and that i wanted to find people to assist on shoots and a few people answered and um one of them being a guy named art striber who's a big celebrity photographer mm-hmm. And um, he sort of was my first paid gig, and it went really well, and I ended up working for him for, for years off and on, you know, freelance, but right. from project to project. And What he, was the first thing you did with Art? Do you remember? I do. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the network. He was shooting um, key art publicity photos for a TV network, and they they had this big shoot they would do once a year, and it was crazy. They'd rent, like, two sound stages and Mm -hmm. and have multiple casts from multiple shows, and there'd be sets just built all over the place, and we had to bounce around from set to set depending on when we got talent from what show. What show, right, yeah. Yeah. But I want to say it was Because those were the posters and all the promotional stuff, right? yeah. I think it was, I want to say it was CBS. I can't remember. But, it, it, you know, I was one of probably 12, 15 assistants on it. Easy, because right? so yeah. many sets and so much going on. And, you know, I was sort of just learned so quickly from being on something so big and seeing, I mean, how efficient you have to be. And, I mean, it was it was something. And yeah, I, that's I being was, thrown into the deep end yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, I had I had more seasoned assistants above me, so I was more just kind of there to be extra hands and do what I was told, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was just an incredible. I want to say it was three, four, five day job, and getting to be in there, walk into a soundstage is just empty, and then see everything get built and lit and set up and watch the whole process was was really really incredible. Um, How involved were you in the pre-production of that? So I remember that he he's a really good teacher. Um, he really takes pride, I think, in not only having peop- good people work for him, but also giving back and making sure people learn. And he he'll answer any question and take time if you want to know something. So oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, he's it's incredible. Um, 
I remember he had like a, a, a get together at his house because it was such a big job with everyone that was going to work on it the night before, sort of like a pre-pro meeting. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to go through everything that was going to happen so that we had some context when we landed the next day on what needed to be accomplished and there's make a, sure I mean, we were on the same page. Yeah, and there's so many moving parts. Yeah. And he can't be responsible for everything. No, there's no way. Yeah, you got to have people that you trust yeah. that are going to... And he had some senior assist, uh, assistants that he sort of broke up to lead different teams mm-hmm. and assign different sets to different groups. And we would come, you know, go in and light the sets we were assigned. And he would be bouncing around between the different places just to see, <laughs> you know, what it looked like and if he was happy and tweak what he wanted. And, yeah, it's pretty incredible to see. I don't, I don't know if they even do shoots like that anymore. I know they have those kind of shoots, but I don't think they try to do them all in a couple of days like they did. I don't then. think so. I don't yeah. think so. I think it's it's too complex. Yeah. With people's schedules nowadays and TV's yeah. a little different nowadays the way schedules are. I think they're just one offs now where, you know, you might shoot one cast for one show. Yeah. But CSI um, show, whatever yeah, the hell it is. Exactly. Yeah. Man, that must have been one hell of a oh, couple was, of days. It was yeah. I mean I remember being exhausted. I mean we we worked hard but just mentally too, just so much was new to me and um, just wanting to, to do a good job and be asked back and take did, it all in and get the most from it. You did know? you walk out of there thinking like, whew, I learned something? Oh, for sure. I mean, the, not something. I learned so much. It was almost kind of hard to wrap my head around how much I had learned in those few days. Right. You know, those are the best. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was. It's one thing to get paid to learn or get paid to work, but right. if you can learn something on that job, like, oof, I'm getting double time. Yeah. Like, I'm really getting something yeah. out of it. Yeah, and, you know, it was, it's, it was great money uh, and learning so much. I mean, it just felt great. I mean, there was it was couldn't be in a better place. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I wish I could remember some of the shows. I, I'm sure I have, you know, back then, I think we were shooting film. Because I know there was Polaroids, and I have so he like would give Polaroids to some of the assistants if you want to keep it to remember how something was lit. You make mm-hmm. notes on the back of it or whatever. Right. Somewhere I have some of the Polaroids from that from that shoot that I kept. Because <laughs> um, we would also all sit in, you know, because a lot of the shots were cast members, so right, five so or six people. So we would have the group of assistants that were assigned to that set sit in, so he could see what the light looked on right. on people. Yeah. So there's you know Polaroids of you on the set, right. I'm playing black fireman number two. Yeah. She's, you know, yeah, sheriff yeah. or exactly. whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. You just want to yeah. see where the light lays on you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the way you got to do it. I've, we've all been there. I've, yeah. been, I've been many athletes and models and whatever. Yeah. Sort of thing. It never looks the same. Yeah. yeah it's interesting looking back, though, on the Polaroid thing because now we can see it on a screen well, every time we take a shot, you know. Right. Back then it was like you had to dial it in on Polaroid. And then make sure nothing changed because you're shooting films. So you're not seeing anymore mm-hmm. what's happening. So nope. if something, a light wasn't going and you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't know until you got the film developed. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden your key light's a little off. Yeah. Right? No backlit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nightmare. Yeah. Was, was that then a good stepping stone to seeing your progression through your career right there, working with art and moving forward? Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, I think it just every experience like that gave me more context to think about where I might fit in or where I wanted to go. I mean, I think I was still trying to figure it out at that point, but I felt like I was in a good place to at least get experience that I could put towards wherever direction 
in photography I wanted to go. Were you thinking advertising commercial strictly, or was there ever any doubt like, oh, maybe I'll try product, or maybe I'll do, you know, this? I think back then I knew that I wanted to shoot people. Okay. I knew that for sure, but I didn't know much more than that. I mean, okay. growing up, I would love sports. I was a huge sports fan. Um, when I went into the music world, I kind of left sports behind for a little bit. And then I think I kind of came back to sports. So I, I, I think in the back of my head, sports was going to be part of it, but I wasn't sure. I okay. wasn't sure um, at that point. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things. Sometimes you come back to stuff. Yeah. 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 When did you start shooting? When did you start feeling like, okay, Dominic needs to go out and start taking yeah. some pictures? Well, I mean, I think being at Santa Monica City College and having those assignments that we had to shoot every week, I don't know that I ever stopped shooting when I was assisting. I was still trying to do my own self-assigned things um, when I wasn't assisting. Um, so there wasn't really a point where I started shooting, you know, um, for myself. I mean, I started getting jobs I can't even remember. I've always I've always done both, I guess I could say. But as okay. as things progress, I would shoot. I was shooting more and assisting less, and still to this day, I do both. And there's a lot of people have said, you know, once you start shooting, you should stop assisting because you should focus on shooting. And I, I've always, I don't agree. I mean, at least for me, I love that I'm still around other people and can see their process and see what they do and, and learn from it or learn what I don't, what I want to do or what I don't want to do, you know? Um, cause I think being a photographer can be very isolating if, um, cause you just do everything yourself and you hire people just for, you know, job to job. And so to get out and work with other people and, and kind of collaborate creatively, I think has helped me continue to grow. Um, yeah, so. No, no, it's a good thing. Yeah. I, I mean, there's certain guys, they call up and they need help. I'll be there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's foolish to just say at some point, I mean, not unless you're, you're art and you're just banging and you're just yeah. so exhausted, tired. You're yeah. not going to, you know, if Mark calls up, he's not going to run off and help him. But there's no reason why you can't be like, I can help you out. Sure. Yeah. Let me, let me light that up for you and let me, yeah. you know. And it gives you a chance to try things you might not try on your shoots because this person wants to see something different and you learn new tools that maybe you didn't realize would be good for you right. for something you want to accomplish uh, lighting-wise or workflow-wise or whatever it may be. Were you being experimental early in your career or were you kind of just trying to be safe? Um, it's interesting. At, at, at Santa Monica City College, super experimental. Okay. Um, and then when I started getting like editorial jobs and things, I think I got too safe. And I think um, I still have to kind of remind myself not to be too safe. And I think that comes from wanting to be sure I deliver what the client wants. Mm -hmm. um, and when you, you know, when you take chances, sometimes it doesn't work. And some of these jobs, there's not really room for it not to work. Right. I mean, they need you to deliver period they There's need deliverables yeah they need that product yeah. and Boom. it has to be what yeah so it, that's a tricky thing and that's why i think personal projects and and shooting things where there's lower pressure and more room to play is is important um because that gives you the opportunity to do that but yet 
I definitely take, I'm safer than I think I should be when it's, when it's a job with a client. Um, Are you getting a lot of, I guess, instruction today, like from creative directors, art directors, we want our product to look like this, do this, do this. Yeah, it, from job to job, it varies so much. I mean, there's jobs where there seems like there's just no input and I'm kind of on my own or they're leaving it up to me. And then there's jobs where there's input, but it's very vague and you sort of have to take their um, general direction and then figure out how to execute yeah, decode it. Decode it. Yeah, yeah, and how to specifically get to where they're thinking. And then, you know, then there's people you collaborate with that really know what they're doing and they're they feel like they're right there with you and you're going making decisions together creatively through the whole process. So it, I kind of like that when, when I'm collaborating with someone that, that wants to be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but every situation is so different and you know, some, which one's your worst nightmare? No direction whatsoever at, at all. And so like, you're just kind of like having to, figure out what they want or someone who's like strictly we want it absolutely like this i think no direction only because what almost always happens with no direction is there's no direction until you're doing it and then all of a sudden the direction comes (laughs) and you're either not ready for i mean of course part of our job we have to be flexible and be willing to or able to on the fly make big changes and be prepared for almost anything and problem solve but it's this weird thing where, you, like, you're trying to read their mind. Right. But then sometimes, you you know, whether you read it or not, it, you still need some kind of direction. Yeah. Because they're going to decide afterwards you deliver the stuff. Yeah. It's not what we were looking for. Yeah, or even on set, they decide when they see the, you know, but you might have spent a week or two getting to the point where you think you're supposed to be, and then right. you're kind of starting from scratch there in the moment. Um how much pre-work do you do? Do you do a lot of light testing and kind of feeling things out? Uh, uh, not lighting-wise. More, more sort of in my head about what what I want to accomplish. and how. I mean, I know enough about light where I can picture it in my head. I don't need to okay. physically light something to, to know. Um, it's more just kind of making sure that everything's buttoned up and ready and there's like a plan and... You know, a lot of these jobs, there's not a lot of time to to be figuring it out in the moment. No. You know, because no, you go, weird. the schedules are so tight. So the pre-production for me is more getting ready mentally and, and putting a good team together and, and making sure that there's a lot of communication so that you know the direction or as much as you can from the creative director or the art director or the client. Yeah, um, that's all you want. Just yeah. give me a little idea of what you want. Yeah. I'll figure out the right. Re- you yeah. hired me for a reason. Yeah. Don't put me in a box and now I have no creative myths. Right. You know, I always do this. Like I'll follow your instructions. I'll do, you know, everything you want, but give me like 10% of the time to just kind of play. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be. Right. Don't, if you just give me no time and you strictly want this. Yeah. Why'd you hire me? Yeah. This is no fun. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not making anything. I'm just doing what you're telling me. Yeah. Sometimes that's too not giving you enough resources to really do things right. Um, whether it be time with the subject or the space they give you to shoot in or all these things that they may not completely understand make a huge difference. Um, yeah. It can, Especially, it can I don't know, you find this 
the same way where they say, well, we're going to give you 30 minutes with the talent. Yeah. Do you realize how fast 30 minutes is on a photo right. shoot? Like, yeah, <laughs> it's a blink of an eye, really. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that 30 minutes can include them getting dressed, doing hair and, ma- you know, like when you actually have them in front of you to, pre- you know, yes. take photos could be five of that 30, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I always ask for way more than I need because I know it's going to get whittled down to probably what I need or less than what I need to accomplish what they're asking. What's your go-to number? When, when do you, what do you, how much time do you start to feel good with the subject? Now, every subject's different. You know this. Yeah, I know for sure. I mean, as far as connecting with them. Yeah, right? Because you I can mean, say, like, I've never met someone before. That yeah. might take longer, but they might be very into it. Yeah. Or maybe somebody you've photographed several times, they're just not the best subject. Yeah. I mean, it varies so much, like you said, from person to person. I mean, I sort of pride myself on being able to connect with people really quickly because a lot of the stuff I do... I don't have any time, you know, to take time to do that. Um, And I'm so used these days to having two minutes, three minutes, five minutes. Um, So, I mean, I think knowing the person as much as you can and and finding some way to connect with them quickly. um, Do you do a lot of research? Or what do you do to yeah, connect, I, yeah, I mean, find that connection? Research, research for sure, but also just thinking through how to get them comfortable right away. Uh, you know, things like maybe what music they like. Mm-hmm. If they come on set and you're playing something that makes them feel good, it's going to make a huge difference. Um, you like that music connection? I do. I mean, it, uh, f- for me, it's more just getting them in the frame of mind I want them to be in or for them to feel comfortable or a lot of times too you're getting people that they've already spent their energy on what they really do whether it's an athlete they've done their workout and like mm-hmm. this is an extra thing for them so to help sort of get some energy out of them and wake them back up or get them engaged quickly I mean it's just one of the tools that that are it's an easy quick trick to kind of get people feeling good and and feeling up for what you're going to ask them to do right it's very rare that the subject says i want a quiet set can you turn the music off yeah yeah i I don't know that i've ever had that yeah i don't think i've ever had someone say that i feel like i think that there's something about the music it's a rhythm you guys are kind of dancing yeah and i think they feel less naked because it's not quiet doesn't feel like everyone's looking at them and ever you know like awkward silence sort of big slapping shutter that's all they yeah yeah there's there's other things happening and i think they can kind of get lost in in the noise Mm -hmm. a little bit when did you start to feel comfortable with subjects how many how many subjects did it take for you to start to feel like okay Um, i'm building i could build a rapport quickly yeah so this is funny but i think i've always been able to do that and i think it goes back to being a kid at the stadium asking these professional athletes for autographs and trying to talk them into giving me a broken bat. And I just learned how to talk to these athletes that, you know, you thought of as being bigger than you or, you know, on another, another stratosphere from you. And I learned how to speak with them and talk to them and, I think I've never felt uncomfortable since then. It's like an interesting skill I learned from something that seems so silly, but I mean, I'm, I, I used to be at the stadium, I don't know, 100, 120 days a year. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I just lived there 
and like you know the players there's a few of us that were always there and the players knew us and were your dad's was your dad a season ticket holder no okay did you live that close to the stadium no not that close i was in tustin so it was you know i had to get dropped off okay um or there was a few older kids that drove that would you know take us and See, that's a word we have to have an asterisk in the podcast, dropping your child off. A lot of people hear that and go, what do you mean? Yeah. You left your kid yeah. at a stadium? Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's yeah. what we used to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was my playground, honestly. Right. I mean, I wish I could remember years, but there was a year that um, <laughs> we cut a hole. There, there was a, in the outfield on the outside of the stadium, there was the... Um, the cement ramp that went up the stadium Mm -hmm. and there was just like a chain link fence that kept you from getting in there. So we cut a little hole in it and for months we would get into the games for free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, there's great memories there. But anyway, it's like talking to walking up to Bo Jackson and trying to talk him into signing a baseball card for you when you're a kid. Were you an only child? No, I had a, I had, uh, I grew up with a younger brother and I had two brothers from my dad's first marriage. Okay. So, you had siblings to yeah. kind of communicate because I always find that interesting. Like, were you an only child? So that was where you got your communicational skills to kind of like get these players right, to right. do things for you. And then you moved into your career that way. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, I think. Just a good skill. Yeah. Just not being intimidated or. Yeah. Just you able can't to, be as a photographer. You cannot well, no, be No, but I mean, as a kid, though, also you have sometimes 30 seconds from the time the player gets off the team bus to walks into the stadium door to talk them into signing something for you or connecting with them and having a conversation with them or whatever it may be what was your go-to move if i'm bo jackson what's your go-to move Uh, i mean i don't know if there was a go-to move (laughs) as much just asking you know what i mean and being persistent would you say mr jackson or would you yell out bo uh you know it's funny you say that because i think i would kind of think of what I knew about the player and what they would, what they would respond to. So I think even back then I was trying to figure out how to connect with people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you, you knew their personality to some degree and you probably, you would just figure out how they would react to certain things. And, you know, I mean, I used to, for example, I don't know if you remember, there was a player called Albert Bell. Yes. And he, um, his name was Joey when he first started playing. Mm -hmm. And then I think he had some kind of, um, AAA, you know, AA alcoholism. Something happened in his right. life where he wanted to change his name and kind of start new in the middle of his baseball career. Right. And I was trying to get this entire set of 1990 upper deck signed. <laughs> I wanted to get every single player. I wanted to meet every single one of them in the set, right? So his card happened to be the year he changed his name. It said Joey on it. And he refused to sign anything that said Joey because he was now Albert. So after asking him many times and him saying, I'm not signing that card, it says Joey on it. He's with the Indians at this time, probably, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. So I, there's another asterisk there. There there used to be a team called the Indians. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I, I got, I figured out that I could get this kind of eraser that would erase the name, the ink off of the card. So I, on the front and the back, I erased Joey. So it just said bell. So the next time they came to town, he got off the team bus. And he's like, I'm not signing that card, man. And I said, but it doesn't, it doesn't say Joey. And he looked at it, and he was so confused. <laughs> and I said, I, I took the Joey off. And he's like, he, I think he said, kid, you're crazy. And he took it and signed it for me. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, those are the kind of things that just, figure, yeah, just figuring out that kind of stuff. Um, 
Same with Keith Hernandez. He wouldn't sign. Um, he hated the Indians didn't treat him well, for I guess, and he would not sign anything with the Indians logo on it. And so um, I took a marker and scratched out all the, you know, it looked terrible, but I wanted to get him to sign the card. So I got rid of the logo in the corner and I, I crossed out the logo on his jersey in the picture. And and so same thing, he, he said, I'm not signing that card. I'm like, it doesn't have the Indians logo anymore. And he looked at it more closely, and he's like, but you ruined the card. I'm like, well, you wouldn't have signed it if I didn't. He's like, all right. And he signed it for me, you know. So those, the, I think those kind of situations, yeah, kind of. Dominic, those are some really early building blocks. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's wow. funny because sometimes my, my mom would, would give me a hard time. She always used to say, like, instead of you chasing people to get their autograph, why don't you do something so people want yours? And I, I think it was good advice, and I understand the concern, but I think there was so much that I learned during that time that, that really helped me in life. Um, and again, it seems like a, like a silly process, but it really was, you know, it's like going to college. You just learn how to get by. You learn how to make things happen for yourself, you, you know. Wow. Yeah. That, you know, it's funny. If you look at it, it sounds silly, but those are major steps into like getting subjects to do things they might not be comfortable yeah. doing. And as photographers, that's what we kind of have to do. I, I yeah. need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need you to laugh, cry. Right. You were manipulating people at an early age. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really. I don't like to think of it that way. But no, but, but in yeah, a but good it's way. True. But yeah, it's, yeah. What, it's what we do. We yeah. try to manipulate people into, you know, they might come out of that workout exhausted. Yeah. I need you to look, sm you know, happy and excited that you can drink this Gatorade. Can yeah. you do that for me for yeah. 45 seconds? So you put on some music they like and you kind of set the tone and right. you make them happy and you get them whatever they want. You're manipulating it. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not waterboarding them, but you no. are trying to get them to be <laughs> Not yet, but we might have to soon. There's some subjects, <laughs> yeah. God knows. Yeah. Like, I have photographed I, dear Tommy Lasorda three times, and I yeah. had literally three different versions of Tommy. Yeah. And you're just like, wait, this is the same person, but your subjects evolve. They're different. Their yeah. time, where they are in that moment, and we have to kind of evolve and work around it, and they might not be in their happy place. Yeah. Was he tough? He, one day he was tough, and the other two he was very like. One day, literally no energy. Yeah, like I was kind of worried, no energy. Right. And then the other time, oh my God, he was like the greatest grandpa ever. Yeah. What do you want? What do we do? <laughs> and he's talking to his wife. He's bringing him in. It was like he was on. He was on. Yeah. So the first one was like the really bad Tommy. Okay. Like screaming, cursing. You got, wow. You got ninety seconds. Let's go, mf'er. And he was just in a bad place. Is this? He was still managing at this point. <laughs> Wow. Yes. And then yeah. the other two, he was done managing. He was still with the Dodgers. But, yeah, yeah you're just kind of like different subjects every time. It's the same person, but you never yeah. know who you get. Yeah. You know, it's, it's – it, who's – what subject have you photographed the most multiple times? Um, Is anybody like two or three or four or five times? Yeah. I mean, Mike Trout, I think over five, I want to say. Now, Mike's very vanilla, but did you kind of get the same kind of Mike – I did kind of get the same kind of mic. I, I mean, I feel like he's so professional and he's he's so respectful of everyone around him that, you know, I, I did have one one shoot with him where he seemed a little off. And I found out later it was his birthday 
and he was having some family stuff going. I mean, like he he was having a really bad day, mm-hmm. and he was still just so great to work with, trying to give you something. Yeah, yeah. and just yeah, just he's just such a such a good person. Um, yeah, I think he's he might be the one I photographed the most. I haven't really thought about that before, but it might be him. Yeah, because you, you know, especially if you shoot him early in his career, he's a different kind of person. You photograph him. You know, like they had his, his brother-in-law passed away. Yeah. And then they've had they've had a child since then. So you get different people in their times yeah, of their lives, sure. right? So you never know. Yeah. You know. I feel like he's one, though, that's going to stay pretty grounded. And, yeah. You know. I don't see him running off with, you know, hookers in a car. No, and end no. up in the desert somewhere. And, but you know. I even mean just his interaction with fans. He right, still like, feels like the same yeah. when he was a rookie. and Still 2011, 2012 for him. Yeah. He's Which still, is yeah, really amazing and it's refreshing. It's yeah, nice. Yeah, you know, I mean, you actually photographed. It's one of the times I saw you operate is when you had Clayton and oh, him. that's right. Yeah, you yeah. You had two of the sweetest guys, really, yeah. to f- in front of your camera at the same time. Yeah. Which I mean, I agree, uh, but it was an interesting circumstance. I think right because w- for many reasons leading up to that happening but also they were about to play each other and it was sort of a weird time to do a photo shoot i mean it was I, if i remember i just a few hours before the game yeah so i don't think that happens very often where you get them and I think away they, from the field yeah and it was at angel stadium yeah. and then the next two games were at dodger stadium and i think they faced each other the next night they, or two yeah you're right so it was a really not yeah. the greatest you know hitter pitcher combo yeah. to have up there yeah and uh, i think i don't you know maybe it maybe it happens more than i know but it's like for them to come to a place in the stadium that's like a lit environment where you're putting lights on them and all that i guess they do interviews like that. they do yeah they do. so a maybe lot it's of not stuff that's... we were supposed to do uh, in 2015 we we're supposed to do trout and harper in washington on his trip out there and harper pulled out last minute okay and so it was just mike so the whole cover was just mike but it went from this buddy cl- you know collaboration look to you know two guys to oh christ what yeah. are we gonna do with one person the sports illustrated yeah yeah do you know why he why Harper pulled out? You know why, but you never nearly know why. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right? Just kind of like it was an ego thing. You yes, think? Yeah. yeah. Harper, like those two at that point were. Yeah. It was who was better? Who was better? Yeah. Neither one of them had done. You know, Mike was winning MVPs, but he wasn't in the world. He wasn't in the playoffs. Right. Or he wasn't winning, and so who's winning? And whose team's going to be better? And blah 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 blah. Yeah. So basically, it came down to well, I've got more MVPs than you, and then management and agents get involved yeah. and you're just you know and then organizations get involved of course you know you got you know the wonderful tim meads trying to play like the pope in between this scenario yeah. and, oh it was an absolute nightmare yeah i mean just getting clayton and, and mike together that day the behind the scenes of going back and forth and trying to i mean i didn't have anyone from the magazine there with me so i was sort of during that series trying to make that happen because I was assigned to cover both of them on the field and Mm -hmm. their interaction when when Clayton pitched to Trout and and all that kind of stuff but the the kind of portrait session was always sort of a maybe and um, if it happens it happens kind of thing yeah Yeah. I had to push kind of hard and and sort of manipulate it to make it happen I wish there was more of that yeah 
Well, it's tough because you, there's so many no's and it gets discouraging. And, you know, I, I mean, I always try to get the most out of situations, still being, you know, um, professional and understanding that, you know, you can't always get what you want. But um, if you don't push, nothing happens. I'm glad you got it. And I'm glad it's like a photo made because even as a team guy for four years, I was constantly turned down. So, yeah. I mean, if they're turning down an employee, yeah, outside people, it right. is nearly impossible. Yeah. You know, it's the old, well, we only do stuff in spring training. Well, that, that doesn't always work. Yeah. You know, you want to, you want me to create a portrait at seven in the morning. You're, right. you know, half sober, you're unshaven <laughs> yeah. for three yeah, days. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. not the best time to do a portrait. Yeah. You woke up eight minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. And when there's two, like you said, when there's two teams involved too, they kind of put the onus on the other. Like I kept getting, well, if the Dodgers will do it, we'll do it. And then the Dodgers, if the Angels will do it, we'll do it. You know, and then right. you're trying to convince one so the other will come on board. And, and you're white lying like, oh, yeah. they're all in. Yeah, they yeah, love yeah. to. There's going to be cookies and milk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still shocked that it happened, but I'm glad it did. When did you start feeling like those jobs were coming for you in your career? When were you starting to make headway into like, whew, this is, this is happening? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't know if there was like a moment because I think with what we do, it comes and goes so quickly that, you know. Well, there had to be some moment where you went from constantly screaming, you know, look at me to like the phone <laughs> ringing. Yeah. And, or emails popping in going, hey, kid. Well, I mean, the first assignment I got from ESPN, the magazine maybe, is, is, is one of those times. Well, um, when was that? Uh, you're probably know this the year better than me. It was when Albert signed with the Angels. When okay, was so that? twelve. Twelve. Yeah, him and CJ signed that. Yeah, day. and so the story behind that is, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, the, and actually, this shoot involves both of them. Um, Art Stryber again, the guy that that I first started assisting. Um, he got a call to shoot Albert and CJ for the cover. And they weren't available to be in the same place the same day. And the day that CJ was available, Art wasn't available. So he knew that one of my, you know, goals was to shoot for ESPN. And I had built a portfolio, you know, wasn't great. But, you know, I'd been working hard to get an opportunity like that. So he suggested to them that he would shoot Albert, I would shoot CJ, and that we would collaborate to make lighting look similar so that if they wanted to put them on the cover together, they could. Um, so he basically gave me my opportunity to get in with them. And so that was probably, you know, looking back on it, when I felt like I was getting a little momentum and, you know, that the things could move from there and start to happen. Um, that was a very interesting press conference because CJ was signed. Right. And then last minute, the Angels pulled this contract for Albert out of nowhere. And, right. And everybody was like, how much? Yeah. So it became a, a collaborative press conference, which was an absolute, like, shit show for CJ not getting his due, his own press conference. Right. I didn't know the, the background to yeah. that. I no. wonder if what, maybe that's why they didn't shoot together. I, mean, I don't know who knows like for for the ESPN shoot right. maybe there was some sort of like let's give them both their own sort of CJ's one of the sweetest people I know and he would never say publicly that that or you know even I don't know privately and I'll ask him but like 
was there an issue, but Albert's team was a massive team already. Right. You know, team foundation Albert and CJ was obviously just CJ coming off from the world series and yeah. he's just doing his thing and he's, you know, California Huntington beach guy coming yeah. back. He's just happy. And then poof, explodes to like the press conferences outside and it's live on Fox and right. Oh boy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You, if you cannot try to play second fiddle, he could, but he was robbing that day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's tough. I yeah. mean, Albert signed for the biggest contract at that point. Yeah, it's crazy to look back on. So that that moment for you kind of feels like yeah. a, br- a, a breakthrough. You're okay. We got some momentum. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I hesitate to to choose a moment because I, I think we talked about before we started recording. It's all such a grind to do it this, is. and like you, you, the minute you think you've made it, quote unquote the next day you feel like you're nowhere. I mean, it's just, it's a constant journey and battle, I think. And so. Well, our thing is, is there's always a Dominic and a Matt who are younger, who are coming up. Right. Right. So we, we're, we're battling them. We're battling ourselves. We're battling the guys in front of us, the art, the, you know? Yeah. And so there's always constant, like, yeah. where am I? What's safe ground? I'm in quicksand. Yeah. I'm constantly kind of stay ahead. But if we're true to ourselves, there are always moments that are like, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I got a plateau. I just think I'm not good at kind of enjoying those for too long. Uh, maybe that's what it is. You know, I, like even with that shoot, like I, that day I felt, all right, you know, this is this is all paid off. But then the next day I felt like I needed to start running again. And, you know. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I think so. I mean, I think it's made me be able to kind of survive in this, in this environment. But. Um, well, that's what I noticed. Because then I started seeing you at 13, 14, 15. That's what I really admired about you then is that you were always pushing. You were yeah. create, but you were pushing in a way that so many young photographers, and yeah. you know this, they wait for the phone to ring. Right. Maybe Sports Illustrated, SI, Newsweek, yeah. they'll call me to cover the assignment. Yeah. People don't realize that doesn't happen all the time. Mm, yeah. But what will happen if you call and say, hey, Jim, at ESPN, I've got an idea. I got a story. Let's can we? Let I got this, this, this laid out already. Can you even run this by your board, the other editors? Tell me what you think. Yeah, that's what absolutely. Ne- that's what needs to be done. Bring them ideas. Yeah, eighty percent of my things that have happened for me have been because I pushed or come up or with was an proactive. idea. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Sitting back and waiting is not going to get it done. Where did you get that? proactive go at the, the editor for the story or come up with a story i think i'm just impatient i you know um and i expect a lot from myself and i saw no other way i mean i think that's it's as simple as that right um, i mean what's the worst they're gonna say no yeah i mean at the same time i hate hearing no right I'm still not used to it but but, but if you don't if you don't go after them yeah. it doesn't happen so right. there's the alternative of not trying would eat me up more than hearing no mm-hmm. and i think i know that about myself um i would much rather accept no yeah. than going weeks days years whatever going god i should have brought that forth to him yeah i should have told him yeah somebody else didn't they and they're doing the story yeah yeah and they're now 3 weeks in cuba chasing around some kid or whatever yeah i mean that's the vin scully thing happened from me pitching the idea and you know tell me work that out what's that even idea in your head well i I think um 
I was an Angel fan growing up, but but being, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but being out here, you know, you you still heard Vince Scully's voice oh, and knew who he was, and he was on commercials and and I told him this when I when I shot him. But my earliest memory of him is he was doing um, commercials for um, 76 gas station, and they were giving out these like oversized baseball cards of like Dodger greats or whatever. And my dad would go to 76 by his office. And so I would always ask him to, if you fill up, can you get one of those, you know, and he would bring them home to me. And, uh, but I just remember, you know, that's my first memory of, of, of Vin. But, um, I just thought he was, you know, obviously a legend that was still working. And I just found it fascinating that someone could do something that long and love it so much. And so I just pitched ESPN. I wanted to um, follow a day in the life of Vince Scully and do sort of what we talked about earlier with the books that I always wanted Mm -hmm. to do. I knew that wasn't possible as much anymore, but I thought maybe if I could do the day of content with someone and put together a collection like that, uh, it could be interesting. And um, now this is 2013, correct? Yep. 2013. That's, that's pretty bold for you to go like, let's let, I got an idea. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I guess, I guess I mean, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, How, okay. So when you bring it up to ESPN mm-hmm. and why ESPN and not somebody else? Uh, I had a relationship there already. Okay. With and, Jim, a server? Uh, who well, to? multiple people there. Okay. Yeah. Um, and to be completely frank, uh, Sports Illustrated told me that when I met with them that I should find another career. Okay. So, so um, who'd you talk to? Do you remember? I don't remember his okay. name, but he. Uh, thank you for the motivation. That, that, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, I remember. I went to New York and um, had kind of talked to them about coming in to show my portfolio, and it was sort of this loose thing, like, yeah, when you're here, you can come in. Mm-hmm. And then I was there, and I was trying to get you know a time, and the guy finally said to me, uh, "I looked at your website. You you just you should probably think of a different career." <laughs> is what he said to me. Was it Porter Binks? <laughs> Doesn't sound familiar. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've all yeah. had that. My yeah, pal said that to me when I was when I applied at All Sport. Yeah, he's like, ah, I don't think so. Yeah. Next year he sees me on the sideline with my, you know, what, what are you doing here? I'm working. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it crushed me, but it, I think it also motivated me. Um, I forget where we were. Well, you're ESPN. Oh, so yeah, you yeah. pitched to ESPN. Yeah, just because I had relationships there. And I, I want to hang with Vin. Yeah. And they liked the idea. And, you know, I kind of needed them to back me to give it some credibility so the Dodgers would consider it. Right, because they're going to laugh your ass out of the yeah. stadium. If yeah, if I go to them directly and, like, you know. I got an idea. Yeah. <laughs> and they just want, they just want, you know, the Dodgers were doing terrible that season. And I think it was good timing because they probably needed something positive and, you know. So anyway, they checked in with them. The Dodgers were interested. They were going to check with Vin's people or Vin. And it came back that um, he's a super private guy and that my original idea was I would start at his house in the morning and follow him all the way through to the end of broadcasting to be able to show like what his, what his life is like or a day, you know, right. Is he sitting there reading the times, having a cup of coffee and what's his day? Yeah. And I just found that, you know, would be more interesting than everything else we've seen of him be something new, but it came back that he's super private and didn't want to do anything away from the stadium. So the next ask was, can I shoot him pulling up to the parking space 
and start the story. For, I just wanted there to be a story arc. Mm-hmm. So can we start in the parking lot, cover his whole day prepping for the game, calling the game, um, and then leaving the stadium? And it came back that he didn't want to do that because he, he doesn't drive at night anymore and he had a driver. And because he was so humble, he didn't want people to think that he thought he was better than other people. They didn't say right, this, but my but that's, my yeah. interpretation is he just didn't want to be seen as someone who had a driver, mm-hmm. which I you know is commendable and I understood. So then it it, can, it got to well, you can photograph him when he gets off the elevator uh, on the level where the press box is and do his day from there, but you can't be in the press box when he calls a game. So like it just kept getting whittled <laughs> down and whittled down. And, you know, I, I really wanted not only to deliver something that was interesting, but, you know, make the most of this time. You could shoot him, but you can't have your lens cap on. You're yeah, gonna yeah, yeah. So, you know, of course, in those situations, you just keep working with what you're given. And um, they did agree to some portrait time where I could sh- light an air, you know, a seamless and shoot some portraits of him. And so I thought there was enough. I could be in the booth with him when he prepped for the game. I could shoot him walking out of the booth to the elevator and getting on the elevator. So I'm like, okay. So the word, when did you pick him up? From the elevator? From the elevator. So they had this whole thing where they were going to tell me when he got on the elevator so I'd be ready, and they forgot to tell me. So he walked off the elevator, and then he, I wasn't shooting, and he was like, oh, like there's this weird moment where do you want me to get back in the elevator <laughs> and – I think we were just like, no, it's okay. You know, just. No, sir. We wanted, yeah, we yeah. want, and I want, it was my first time meeting him. And it was just like this very awkward yeah, what are you gonna beginning tell, to tell the day. Tell Santa to get yeah. back on the sled? Yeah. I mean, yeah. come on. Get back in the elevator. <laughs> um, so I think I have something of him kind of like, you know, a few feet out of the elevator. Because I saw it and just started shooting, you know, right. randomly. Um, so then do you have access to that rest of the time to follow the dining room and in his prep room? Yes. So I think he. We first got to take him to, they gave me a, a suite not too far from the press booth where I had the seamless set up and already okay. lit. So I, I want to say we went there first and I got to talk to him a little bit and shoot some portraits. And then I actually... Now walk me through that portrait because it's a beautiful portrait. Yeah. Um, you're talking about the... With the microphone. Yeah. So I, I rented that microphone from a prop shop and sort of had it in my mind that I wanted to be very simple, but still have something that he could hold on to. So he wasn't standing there awkwardly. Mm-hmm. And the mic was just super cool. I just thought it right. sort of, you know, old school, chrome, yeah. beautiful. What yeah. did he say about it? He didn't say anything about okay. it. I just, he, he was very, um, nonchalant about everything and very easygoing. And, you know, I just said, do you mind holding this? He's like, sure. And, you know, it was super sweet guy. And he, um, just took direction and was just kind of enjoying it felt like he was enjoying it um you know he was he was asking me when it was going to come out and if he could get a copy of it and you know all this sort of thing it was funny because it felt like it sort of felt like it was his first time doing a shoot like that and I know that like he's probably turned down a million of them and done another million of them and I think maybe that's just the way he was, just sort of experiencing Innocent and things. sweet. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Like, he, he had no idea who he was. But yeah. But he did, but he didn't show it. And he yeah. Was so classy. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's so not the norm anymore. No. Definitely not. Definitely not. 
So you do the portrait. So we do, yeah. Had some time with him in front of like a seamless. Did he thing. like? I got sixty seconds. Let's no, go. No, <laughs> of course he was not. Just like he's not. Of course. Yeah, I mean, he was just. Where do you live, Dominic? You know, just like asking me like very simple, right? Sweet like, questions. Yeah, yeah, just like we were just hanging out. Yeah. You know, and what, what were you shooting? Do you remember? Did you go film digital? Uh, it was digital. Okay. It was digital. So whatever the camera Everything was. Everything was digital. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember which camera I was shooting at, at that point. Lighting looks very simple. Yeah. Evenly lit. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a lot of space to work with and, you know. You went with a nice blue background. Yeah. Thank God he wore a nice, you know, the suit that didn't, like, blend well, in. It's funny because I, I, as you know, try to push for things. And I, I found this suit that he had worn earlier that season that was a blue suit that I really, really liked. And um, I asked the Dodgers to ask him if he would wear it that day because we were doing the shoot. And the response I got is, we're not going to tell Vince Scully what to wear. So you'll, you'll get whatever he comes in. Because obviously colors matter so much, right. right? So because I couldn't get the blue suit, I thought, well, maybe I'll just – do blue and hopefully either it's a good contrast or I, you know, I just kind of guessed as Dodger blue kind of, mm -hmm. and it worked out with that orange sort of suit he wore. It actually, yeah, you couldn't have planned it better probably. No, good contrast, yeah. but good colors. It yeah, yeah. Yeah. He wasn't blowing it out with yellow or something or green. Yeah. Uh. And I mean, again, like he, I think that specific image you're talking about, it's just him. Is this, he's so genuine yeah. that, like, you know, it just happened to capture that. It's almost if that was the whole photo. Right. That's a great catch right there. Yeah. And it just keeps getting better as the day unfolds. Yeah. So then you, you have an assistant, I'm guessing, right? Someone yeah, helping you? I had two, two assistants just mainly for the, the lit, lit portrait right. part because... I knew that once I shot that, I'd have to keep moving with him and someone needed to take Tear that down, stuff down and get, get it, it out of the suite before the people that had the suite came mm -hmm. and, and all that. So we shot in front of that, and then the suite had some seats in front of it, you know, outside, sort of overlooking the stadium. So I had him sit out there and, and took some portraits of him sitting out just looking at the empty stadium. And then I think from there, we I started shadowing him. He went to start prepping for the game, and he sort of showed me around, you know, like he was like, you know, like I was coming to his house and showing me, you know, showing right. me around his house. You're the ambassador of France. And yeah. He's just giving you a tour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, I expected him to be nice, but he was just so concerned that I just because of all the, the stuff that happened leading up to it, it felt very like they were very protective of him, which they should be. But also there was a lot of no's and a lot of we're not going to do that. So I was I was concerned that he that I w wouldn't he wouldn't be so warm to the idea once I got there. But he was concerned about if I was getting what I needed and giving me ideas of where I could shoot from. And do you want me to pretend like I'm calling the game right now so you can get some of that? And, you know, he was re he really enjoyed it. It felt like, you wow. know, we had a really good time. Um, but at that point, I really wanted just to be a fly on the wall because that was the whole point of mm -hmm. pitching it was a day in the life. So I didn't want to be manipulating the situation too much. So I sort of just told him, uh, you know, you just do what you would normally do and I think I can get what I need. Um, but he couldn't help himself because I think he likes to tell stories. You sure. Know? There was like a, a hanger on the wall in his booth 
that had like uh, that puffy paint and it said Dodgers and had a bunch of stuff on it. And he went to take his jacket off. He's like, oh, let me tell you the story behind this hangar. And it, one of the security guards, uh, security people in the press box, his granddaughter made it for him. And he's like, he's used it all these years to hang his, you know, but he was just telling me things that I was enjoying it. I mean, it was, it was a great experience, but I was also thinking like, I got to do what I'm here to do, (laughs) you know, that's the hard part, right? Like you're stuck with a legend in a, in a historical box, really. Like there's all this history in there and you're trying to work and create images. It's a hard balance. Yeah. Cause you want to enjoy it yourself and it's easy to fall. You don't want to be rude. Yeah. Well that too. Yeah, like, no, no, I'm good. Yeah, But also, I mean, you, you know. But there's rapport. Now you're yeah. creating a little yeah, bit yeah. of something. Absolutely. Yeah, so then he just started prepping for the game the way he would. And they just they basically told me I could be in the press box until he left. I think this, he used to leave the press box shortly before the game to call his wife every time. Like, it was a ritual he had. And so they told me once he leaves the press box to go call his wife, I think it was in a office next door or something you got to get out he'll come back and then he's going to do his thing and you can't be in the box and um i had kind of built a rapport with the two guys that worked with him in the press box too i don't know exactly what their roles were but they were you know helping him with right technical stuff or whatever mm-hmm. you know looking at the players coming and going numbers all those things yeah, yeah. and i think stage also just manager. technically yeah stage yeah. sort of that kind of stuff and so i tried to talk to one of them about like I really need to bridge the gap this story I need to photograph him during the game in here because and I tried to explain to him what I was trying to accomplish and I said that I, you know the Dodgers said no is there anything you can think of where I could get that sh- this shot that I want to kind of bridge the gap in the story between when I leave him before the game starts and when I get him walking out the door at the end there's you know the main parts missing and the guy said to me this is what I would do if I were you, but I didn't tell you this. He said the best time that other people have come into the booth during the game is seventh inning stretch, slide in the back, do what you got to do, and then, you know, sometime during that inning when there's a good moment, slide out and just be super quiet. And so that's what I did, and that's how that the shot from behind his head is, you know, the bottom of the seventh inning right after the stretch. Um, I was able just to get behind him and, and frame up the shot that I had in my head. Now, is that what you had in your head? Yeah. That kind of wide? Yes. Because being in the box with him earlier, I could picture it, you know, especially with the lights on at night. and, and Were you worried about exposure? Because his I was. box can be dark and that's going to be I blown was. out. And those yeah. are the technical things. Oh, absolutely. Your head where you're like, oh, my God. Well, that was part of the problem during the day because, you know, he was willing to pretend like he was – announcing a game for right. me so i could have set it up then but it was so bright out there that you know it's like so, nine stops over like yeah you're not. so i was hoping at night that it would be closer but i'll tell you i got super lucky because for whatever reason i can't remember if because they show him in the box during the stretch they have lights in there for when he's on camera mm-hmm. so those were still on they hadn't turned them off and so if you look at, like, the lights on his, the light on his shoulders on the top of his head, wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for those nice. lights being on, which I, don't, I think they should have been off by then because they definitely came on for the stretch. And I would imagine they're supposed to go off 
you know, after he's not on camera anymore, but they were on for, you know, the time that's so that was unplanned. And, you know, I don't think it would have turned out as well as it did without that, but it's just, just luck. Take it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So you just slide in. Yeah. Make a couple of photos. How yeah. I mean, how many frames do you think you took? Um, a lot very quickly. Um, did you kind of motor drive and try to like frame focus? No, exposure? I, didn't, I didn't motor drive, but I was definitely shooting quickly and kind of trying to get different, different compositions and try to get lower and a little bit higher. It, it, it was funny cause I couldn't, I really wanted to center his head between the, the stadium lights and make it symmetric. Uh, yeah. Everything's symmetric, but there was the way the stadium is and the way the booth is, I had to make a decision between centering the lights or centering his head. I mean, it was because he's not exactly behind, right? Exactly. He's a little off to the left. Yeah. So, I did a couple different, you know, options. Yeah. Thinking like I also don't want to get caught. I want him to turn around (laughs) and be like, "What are you doing in here?" (laughs) Or you know, I don't know that he would be upset. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. They go to the box. Yeah. That's why the light's on. Yeah. And there's this creeper behind Yeah, him. yeah. <laughs> Security lights. Yeah. Um, I don't remember how many I took. I would guess 40 images maybe. I mean, I was, I, I was anxious to get it done and get out of there because I, I was grateful that, that this guy gave me this, you know, idea and was mm-hmm. sort of supporting it. And I didn't want to get him in trouble. I didn't want to get in trouble. I mean, I always like, I'm always up to push things because you kind of have to. But right. There's a line you got to get Yeah, to, get and to, I also want to be, you know, respectful and, and not ruin it for future photographers. Like, right. oh, we let this guy do this and look what he did. No one's ever up here, allowed yeah. up here again. Sue, who's never allowed to come in. You're yeah, like, what? Yeah. I don't want to yeah. ruin it for John. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, now I love both photos. I love the portrait mm-hmm. and, I, and I love the, the documentary photo, right? Right. What I would love, and I remember during my research, and I showed my wife, I don't think she had seen the photo, and she's like, oh, that's beautiful, this and that. What I would love to see, and this would be great, mm-hmm. we can't do it, is you remember how when we used to make contact sheets of yeah. that 30, 36 exposures, right, and they'd be yeah. cut out, and there'd be like Tri-X or T-Max and the numbers all the way yeah, across, yeah, yeah. and then make a print of those 36 and then with a red marker, you know, the outline, right. this is the one. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have a few photo books over there actually where they do they, that. They do that yeah. and it's the best. It's, yeah. Cause you get to see what was going through the person's head and what decisions they made. I want to see your process. Yeah, I yeah. know the beautiful thing you made. I want to see your, your mind working right. in the cooking process. Of yeah. Where did you, did you start too wide? Did you start too narrow? Did you go yeah. vertical? Is your focus off on one and the exposures and then, and then boom. Right. It, it is interesting to see that when there's a, that one, how did you get there? Yeah. And, you know, cause so many things have to align, you, you know, yeah. stars have to align to get an image. That's the, that's the, you know, three by four foot print I want of right. all of in the sprocket holes and everything. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, it was digital, though. I know. <laughs> Damn it. We had to, like, make uh, this whole fake, fake. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, the process, especially in those books, any of the ones, especially yeah. early on, those are gorgeous to see the mind yeah. working. Yeah, yeah. And the masters of what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, that, you're making me think I want to go back and look at what I was thinking at the at You the should. Time. It's, yeah. it's, I love that process yeah. when I do it. I've got some old stuff, and I'm looking at it going, what the hell? How did, I, how did I get there? 
Like, right. oh my God, I spent like eight frames, not even close, and then nine, 10, and then 12 was it. And then I left 12 and I went 13, 14, and I was off. Like, right. But when we were shooting film and our process was slower, yeah. and you're, and it's funny, like, I never look at my counter anymore. Right. If I put in a 250 gig card, I'm yeah. not worried, like, I've only got 1,100 left. Right, right. But then you were always peeking, going, yeah. God, I'm at, th- I'm at 27. And then I have to stop and reload the camera, right. so I better I'm, time that well. Right, I'm at 31. Oh, my yeah. God, I hope I can get 37 out of this. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to hear my rewinder. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. all those processes. Yeah. Yeah. So you shoot that. You leave the booth. Yeah. What are you thinking? What's your process, your thought after that? Well... I mean, after the whole shoot or just yeah, after getting that, that getting chance? Getting that shot, just that one. Was there, any, hope, was there any more? Yeah, the thought was, I hope I got it. Like, was I there hope. any more, though, through the day? Did you get any more pictures of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the plan, then I kept with the plan of getting him walking out of the booth, down the hallway to the elevator. Okay. Was, was, was that even worth anything? Or is that more in your head? I think it was... Because the story's so short at that point, it's yeah. kind of lost. yeah. I mean, it was important to me at the time because I was still hanging on to delivering to them what I had pitched to them. The so I'm story. like, I got to get the end, whether they use it or not. So it was important to me to shoot it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I will say that him walking down the hallway wasn't so interesting as much as when he got on the elevator. He was sort of surrounded by Dodger security that kind of had this process of getting him out of the stadium quickly so he could get home. It's kind of an interesting photo of him sort of in this elevator with these big guys around him. And Secret service, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't think it was ever – I don't think they used it. I don't think that – if I remember right, the way that they sort of ended up using the images, it wasn't day in the life because it just didn't – so they just took different things and kind of a collage of, of him. And then ran a story yeah. around it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think it was worth it, but not really. I mean, you know. Right. When you have those those opportunities, just I just try to get as much coverage as I can because a lot of times, too, I go back and look at stuff and what I thought was going to be the most interesting or the best image isn't and something I wasn't expecting, whether it's a moment just because of the moment or uh, expression on someone's face or – Things that are out of your con- control. Did you hear back from him? I or never did you t- reach out to him and say, here's a print? Or Yeah, I, I, I never reached out to him directly. I, I went back to the stadium and brought prints for him and the two guys that worked with him in the booth. Okay. Um, and he wasn't in the booth. And I didn't want to, you know, I, I intentionally went early because I didn't want to cause any issues mm-hmm. you know because you're really not even supposed to be right in, in the booth it's santa's workshop man yeah. you're not supposed to be in yeah. There. yeah so i kind of knocked and what hit the guy that had suggested that i do that seven i said you know i thanked him for the idea and like look how it came out and i made a print for you and the other guy and can you this one's for vin i had like an envelope with their name on it and um just left it for him i never heard from him or or um saw him again but um just recently, maybe a year and a half ago, I don't know if you heard, but he he auctioned off all of his personal mm-hmm. memorabilia. Mm-hmm. And the print I had given him, he had signed, and it was in the auction. Um, so he, he kept it. Uh, wow. Yeah, he kept it. And it, I think it, 
want to say it went for $8,000 or something. Wow. I mean, you know, he signed it. Sure. So that's where the value is, nah, I'm sure. But, come on. But <laughs> it was, it was fun, you know, it was, it was it, for me, no, just that, seeing that he kept it or that it made it to him and that, he, you know, he took the time to even bring it home and be a part of his collection was, right. was kind of nice because that means that he saw it and he appreciated it enough. It didn't go in the trash yeah, that night. Yeah, exactly. Off it went with the press releases. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, so, so that's 13. How is the career starting to evolve? What's 14, 15, 16, 17 looking um, like? You're getting I some think, legs, you're getting work. Yeah, I think I, I realized that um, I liked editorial, but I wasn't going to make a living being an editorial photographer. Um, no, that could fill in gaps, but yeah. that's not going to be the... And I really liked shooting live sports, which I did a little bit of for ESPN and a few other clients. And while I enjoyed it, um, there's some things like the limitations of where you can be and mm -hmm. sort of the politics of who gets what position and, and the lack of access and all that sort of. With I access becomes creativity and you got exposure yeah. and yeah. <clears throat> So it kind of pushed me towards trying to do more advertising work um, just because I felt like I'd be able to control lighting. I would be able to direct talent and, you know, tell, collaborate with whoever I'm shooting and actually have a conversation with them. And so I, I just tried to start moving in that direction. Um, Did you kind of evolve the portfolio and try to shoot some stuff and get that up? Out yeah. there. I mean, the interesting thing is that I, I sort of decided to use the access I did have editorially or even covering games to try to shoot some of the bigger named athletes in a way that would feel um, like it was an advertising shoot. Okay. So it's sort of like stealing images that I could sort of beef up my portfolio and obviously having known athletes is going to help, mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, any opportunity I had to get a press pass and, and find a, a, a shot that would feel less documentary and more advertising, advertising or just a different... Campaign-ish with yeah. a Nike, on Nike, Nike logo or yeah, whatever. Or right. something just that felt different from what you would see from guys that shoot games for mm -hmm. the paper or for, right. you know, AP or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was my way of trying to make that move without, you know, because it's that chicken, what came first, chicken or the egg. You can't get those jobs until you've shot them and you can't shoot those jobs until you get them. And so that was kind of my way of <clears throat> having something to show to make people trust me to shoot something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you kind of have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird for people to understand that, but yeah, there's sometimes you got to manipulate your shoot to give you something else right. down the path. It's the way it works. And also, sh I mean, I would set up shoots with people that were either at pro athletes that weren't superstars that were interested in just doing a shoot for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> or finding, you know, sports models and, you know, trying to mix that in with with stuff that I had shot from a photo well or from whatever and sort of give that sense that I can do both. But having the known athletes in there gave credibility to the stuff that was not other subjects that weren't known and that right. sort of thing. How were you at that point, right? So now you're how many years in? Ten years in? Um, eight years in? Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, 2015, like 2015. Yeah. 
how are you on the business side? Are you understanding what it takes to to make a living, get by, pay bills, taxes, keep up with stuff, yeah. not be underwater every year? Yeah. I mean, I think that's always something I've been pretty good at. Uh, I learned a lot from being with Art uh, Stryber and sort of seeing how he ran things and asking him questions about the business side. That's smart that you asked. Yeah. Some interns or assistants are scared. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I just think I understand that stuff naturally. And so it came to me a little bit easier. But, I mean, it's something that I think is so important. I mean, to because we're you are the commodity, the things you create, and there's a value to them. And you have to understand that value over big picture, you know, like you have to set yourself up to be able to do something that's sustainable. And I think too many people think of opportunities as just in that moment, but they don't think about the precedence that it sets, that it sets if they give away their talent for nothing or for not enough for it to be sustainable over time. Because it's, you can't, with a lot of people, you can't go backwards. You can't charge them nothing and then expect them to pay you properly going forward um and of course like when you're starting out you have to you know do things for not great pay but i think there's a lack of of young photographers or artists valuing what they do and knowing that there's a value to it and and setting up a business where they they believe that and Right. Don't yeah. get underwater. Understand that, yeah. that you, you need to make money. Yes. And there's there's nothing wrong with saying no. Right. If the job's going to cost you money or, yeah. making, or you're killing yourself and you're like, I made eight bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. You could have stayed no, yeah. practice on your craft, made a couple more images for your portfolio, and then the next time you make $11. Yeah. Like, yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Not everything you need to say yes to. Yeah. I think it's tough because people, it's just human nature. I know, yeah. Human nature to want to be chosen. Yeah. And to be doing these things that are cool or you can tell your friends or your family, I shot so-and-so or I did this for this team or, but yeah, if you're not thinking about it over the long haul and having a plan that to do something sustainable, it's just not going to work. What do you do now? Right? Both of us got a little gray hair on our <laughs> yeah. chins, right? And, like, we've been around long enough. What do you do to keep your edge? What do you do to to sharpen your tools and be out there and keep pushing forward? Right? That's always a challenge. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Keep I going. I mean, I, I think just the nature of our business keeps me sharp because you, I mean, you just have to be sharp to keep doing it. Um, and I'm competitive, and I want to always be getting better. So I think it comes from internally, you know, that that drive. Um, and also, I think, like I mentioned earlier, still assisting and working with other creative people and seeing new things that they're doing or new processes, workflows, lighting, you know, whatever it may mm -hmm. be is inspiring. So I think that keeps me sharp as well, but... I don't know that you have a choice but to be sharp if you want to be successful in our field. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Where do you get your inspiration from? Um, wow. Um, 
I think it comes from all over the place. I mean, obviously other, uh, other photographers sometimes, although I've tried not to, I'm not on social media as much anymore because I found I was kind of drowning in how everybody else was doing stuff and kind of, even if you don't mean to, you start chasing different styles or ways. Right. Because you see someone seems busy and what are they doing and how can I incorporate that? And so I've tried to kind of take a step back from that and just be inspired more by things that aren't so obvious, just life, visions in my head. Um, Movie, you know, like cinematography is far enough removed from what we do specifically where I feel like I can be inspired from that. But Whether also like a scene or a color, or yeah, color palettes yeah. or lighting. Yeah. yeah. I get that too. Yeah. And then also I, any documentary I watch about someone who's passionate about what they do, even if it's not photography, it inspires me right. and reminds me why I do what I do and kind of gives me more gas in the tank. And it can really be anything. It can be, you know, anyone that's passionate about what they do and they're successful. I'm curious how they keep going and how they got there and, you know, what their workflow is like and how they think about their craft and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that's, it's huge to see how other people go at something, whether it's how Stanley Kubrick did full metal jacket or or something like that. And you're just like, wow, God, he spent hours researching before he even picked up a camera. Yeah. Like all that stuff is really helpful when I'm trying to create a bigger project. Yeah. And it's easy these days with social media, too, to feel like everything seems easy for everybody else. So to see something that has more substance, like a documentary, it reminds you that it doesn't come easy for anyone and that it's a process and oh, yeah. everyone has ups and downs and failures. And, and um, it just feels more um, genuine and healthy to kind of take that stuff in as opposed to kind of the personas that we create on social media can sort of... I think give you the wrong idea about the rest of the world. Are you a big book guy? Do you like photo books? I I do. Yeah. I mean, I have a pretty decent collection of them. Yeah. Yeah. I find them inspiring too. I see. I could, you and I can go for a Saturday afternoon and spend hours at a bookstore just sitting there and on the floor. Just go. I love that. Yeah. There's places in New York I love to go and in LA, I wish there was more, but I, I just love a good bookstore. Yeah. I found uh, one of my professors at SMC had us find 20 images that we liked, put them in a folder, and then wait a little bit, and then go back and try to figure out why, what is it about each, find something about each of those images, why you chose it, or why you're, you find it interesting, Mm -hmm. or why you think it's a good photograph, and it sort of helps you break down what it takes to make a good photo, and you know, I found that to be, so I do the same thing with photo books sometimes. Like there's an image that really stands out to me. I'll stop and try to think about it. Is it the composition? Is it the lens choice? Is it, you know, the colors and try to, you know, reverse engineer what it is that makes it a photo that I wish I took or a photo I'd like to take. I do this. I don't know if you do this. I got a sticky notepad, those little two and a half by two and a half yellow ones and i'll write notes down on people's books okay like oh my god how did or why did or what's this and i'll put it in there and i'll leave the tab up 
And if I see that person or meet that person, oh, interesting. And and, and just so I can go back for reference and like, oh, that was great. And oh, that was inspiring or what the F. Right. You know, and so all my photo books look like some kind of weird, funky project that, because as you know, you go through a bunch of books and you kind of like, wow, there's some really great stuff in here. Yeah. I want to reference back to that. And if you don't, have those tabs you're like what book was that in yeah yeah <laughs> but you so you have a lot of photo books of people that you would run into if some some yeah. i don't like some yeah. obviously are dead but yeah, you yeah. know um you know zagaris has a new book coming out like his old rock and roll book and i haven't seen him in a couple of years so i know when i see him on I'm, I'm gonna go up to the bear i'm gonna ask him a couple <laughs> questions like why 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 yeah why? that's great i never thought about taking it that far yeah i ran into walter eos uh in arizona at a hotel in a lobby and um, had like a short conversation with him. But I, I w- now that you're saying that, I wish that I would have had. In fact, I think I did. The funny thing is that I was shooting Mike Trout and the next day. And one of the, I told him this. I don't remember if he told me anything about the image. But one of the images that I pulled as a reference was there's a photo of Ken Griffey Jr. Like in the batting cage. And there's a, like a thing of balls next to him. And he's sitting on like a little stool. And um, I had just, I just told him that I had just pulled one of his images as a reference for the shoot I had the next day. I wish I had more time with him to, to go through some of those images and ask him. Right. That would be interesting. Yeah, no. Um, Andy Hate. I, I got, God, probably photo f- 40 photos I want to ask him about. And yeah. McDonough's that way. I, I had Beaver on the podcast. I yeah. did the same thing. I asked him all these questions. Like, those are living legends, guys who have done it for a bazillion years. Yeah. It's like, I'd love to know why. It's, it's like the behind the music with photography totally. and questions of, like, break that down. Why? Yeah. I bet that photo that, you know, that Ken Griffey Jr. photo, I bet it might have been on accident or on purpose. But you want to know how yeah. did that kind of play out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I, that's what my photo books look like. They're yeah. just this tab, yellow tabbed thing sticking out all over the place. Yeah, I don't run into people that I have... I mean, I guess I could reach out, but yeah, I think if I had that opportunity, I'd probably be doing the same thing. It's something I just started like a million years ago. Yeah. Because I just want to know questions. Well, you were, I feel like for all the stuff you've done, you were around a lot of other photographers, especially when you were a team photographer and things like that. So you like would be out of town and run into these people. Yeah. you, when you go to 30 cities, yeah, yeah. you're going to run into the guy in Chicago, Seattle, yeah. Miami, right. wherever. So that did help. Yeah, that's cool. In those early years of traveling and stuff. So, yeah, you get to run into people and you just ask, like, why? Yeah. why? yeah. Really? That simple? It was yeah. just that? Like, I'm, right. I'm making it more complex yeah, in yeah. my head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, it was just that simple. Fall yeah. afternoon, ray of light. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay, yeah. I thought it was a speedo pack with a grid and a this yeah. and, that and a warming gel. It's yeah, it's funny how some of that, some of the times you put in a ton of effort into an image and it just doesn't do it, and then something that just like presents itself to you is the one, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you could say that about the Vince Scully black and white image. I mean, I've done way more work on a bunch of shoots, and you know that just happened to be the one that really resonates with people, and yeah tells the story the way I wanted to. And I mean, of course, you know, we're still composition. There's still things you're doing, but right. so many of those things were just presented to me, you know. Was that interesting for you in the last couple of weeks with his passing, how many people reached out and how that kind of became something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I, you know, I think artists 
the, we do what we do because we want people to see what we create mm -hmm. and have that feedback and it doesn't happen that often so yeah it was it's been interesting and and um thrilling really to see the places it's shown up and the way that people have talked about it or what it makes them feel like and you know right tattoos and all kind i mean it's just yeah it's just crazy it's just taken on a life of its own really um, those two images that we've talked about. Uh, Second, okay, other than those two images, has anybody else reached out for any other images that you've done and you're like, really? Um, because that one has such a connection, a lightning rod to an icon yeah. in L.A. I mean, I've had random people reach out about, you know, I remember a guy reached out about a couple of Mike Trout images. Right. But nothing that, that's... Nothing on the same level? No. Yeah. Because Mike Trout's great. I love Mike. But he yeah. is nowhere near yeah. the Vince Scully legendary status. He's more fandom. Yeah, yeah. L.A. and right. you know, Orange County. But he, he's not open like Vin. He's not... Yeah. He's a very quiet man. Yeah. Like, Vin just has like yeah. layers. I mean, he's asking where you live and how you're doing and where you grew up. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's interesting though because they're both very humble and pri I feel like Mike's pretty tri private, you know. Oh, very so there's like private. a lot of similarities, but I know what you mean. There's also Vin's on the air every night telling right. stories, so you feel like you know him even if you don't. Right. Well, we grew up with him. Yeah, but yeah. that's the thing is like I I think that all these people feel like they know him, but they I mean they really don't. They know. They know no. his yeah. storytelling and right. they know, you know, yeah, uh, it's just, it, it's it, kind of fascinating. It becomes nostalgic where you're like, I remember I was in fifth grade. I listened to him yeah. or this or that. And like, she grew up and I worked my wedding plans around a Dodger playoff game. Like it's just stuff through our lives. Yeah. Mike has just a little blip. And if you're not in Florida or Seattle, that means nothing to you. But yeah. Vin was radio and boxing and the football and so you don't even have to be a dodger fan you know he called the dallas 49ers game in 1980 on the catch yeah so you're like oh yeah i, I was watching that game yeah you know and so he's got a, such a deep reach across you know american sports yeah it's unbelievable there's one other image now that i'm thinking about it that a handful of people reached out about it's um it's another story I, idea i pitched espn it was following the stanley cup um well, it started with following a guy with his day with the cup. You know, each player gets a day with the cup. What team? Uh, Kings. Okay. And Dustin Brown, the captain. All right. So what, what year is that? 11, 12? They won it uh, every other year? For yeah, was it or 12 and 14? Something like that, yeah. I'm so bad with years. It's all right. It's yeah. all the same. Yeah. So the first year they won it, I had pitched the story before the playoffs started. Uh, not to the magazine, but to – king's players agents okay and i said i have a feeling about this team if they win the stanley cup i want to be i want to follow your player with his day with a cup and document it and try to get it into a magazine or something and i got i don't I, you know i reached out to maybe 10 player agents a couple responded dustin's um, agent responded and said, like, all right, calm down. Like, you know, they, we know they're in the playoffs. That's all we know. If they get deep, you know, maybe reach back out to me and I'll, I'll see if, they're, right. if he's into the idea or whatever. <laughs> Slow your horses, young yeah. man. <laughs> so I think they won the first two series, and I reached back out, and he said, um, 
you said, I'll, I'll ch- I'll, you know, like it's tricky because they don't want to talk to them about winning no, something no. before they've won it. Yeah. So I can't remember the exact timing, but he eventually kind of, I think actually, sorry, I'm getting these two years confused. The first year he didn't want to talk to them before they won it. He said, if they win it, then we'll, we'll schedule it because a day with the cup will be, you know, after right. they've won it. Yeah, several weeks, depending on what the cycle So they actually won it, and I reached back out to him and said, hey, I, I told you <laughs> they won it, let's do it. So he reached out, and he said, yeah, he's, he's good with the idea. He's going to have the cup this day. He says just to meet him at his house. And so I followed him that day in Los Angeles, and um, I, this is a long story, but basically I followed him that day. We got along really well. He invited me to Ithaca, New York, because he had a second day with it because he was the captain, so he took it back home. So I flew out there and did that with him. So then flash forward to two years later when they won it again, when they were close to winning it, I reached out to his wife and said, if they win it again, I want to come the morning after he wins it because the, the captain brings the cup home mm-hmm. with them. So I, I wanted that moment of him waking up with the Stanley Cup right. and what that looks like. Um, and so Now, what's her response? Because, I mean, you're basically saying, I want to be in, in your, your house at the crack well, of dawn. <laughs> I got to know them really well, sure. those, that prior, and we, we became friendly. So her response was like, I think it'll be fine. Like, let's just see what stay, happens. Stay in touch with me, you know, in the next few days. Because they're basically, they were on the brink of winning. So. Right. Against the Hawks, I think, or something, yeah? Uh, man, I can't even remember who they played in the, in the finals. I don't remember. Anyway, so, um, so they win it, and I text her and said, you know, can, I, so at that point I had already pitched it to ESPN. Like, I think I'm going to get this access, and I want to do something the morning of, you know, him shaving his play, playoff beard off, him having the cup in the morning, you know, just what does he do when he right. wakes up? What time does he wake up after, you know, mm-hmm. whatever they do after the game? And right. I mean, he could be waking up at 2 in the afternoon yeah. because he hasn't gone yeah. to bed since 5. So the plan was that I came up with her that me and a couple assistants would come into their neighborhood, wait down the street, and just sit. And <laughs> when they felt comfortable with us coming over, we'd come over, you know, so that he could wake up whenever he woke up or whatever. I can't remember. How, it wasn't. It was late in the morning, but it wasn't too late that she texted me so you can come on over. And um, he was still in bed. He had the cup in bed with him, and he had his three sons and daughter at the time. Is that right? Did he have his? I think yeah. He, so he had four kids. Four kids, a cup, and a grown man. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so he's laying in bed with the cup. I'm kind of shooting pictures. His his boys come in, and one of his boys is holding uh, an inflatable Stanley Cup. And his dad, the night before, just skated around with the cup over his head, you know, screaming right. up at the sky, you know. And so his kids are jumping on the bed, and his the boy with the – I can't remember which son it was, but he's holding the cup over his head and, and like, basically redoing what his dad done right. the night before. So I have this photo of him laying in bed with the Stanley Cup, and then his son – jumping on the bed with a cup over his head. And it's just one of those moments, again, that, you know, it just presented itself to me. But I had a, a handful of, of Kings fans reach out and want a print of that. And uh, Okay, so let's break that down technically. Let's yeah. get geeky here. What's your process? What are you thinking? Like, I'm going to walk in. I'm going to be on camera flash. Am I going off camera? So like, Available. What's your – because that could become kind of tricky. Yeah. So I, I wanted that for those first moments to be – fly on the wall. I didn't want anything 
even though they knew I was there, I wanted it to be as genuine as possible. Right. So it was just me and a camera, and I had my guys wait outside. And then once sort of he was up and about and, like, it felt more comfortable, we lit, we lit the bathroom because um, he was going to shave the playoff mm-hmm. beard off. I think I did some portraits of him before and after, before and after the beard. I think we lit, put some lights up another part of the house. Um, but then the rest of it was just documentary style. Okay. Um, do you enjoy that documentary style? I do. I do, in, unless the light's terrible. Because <laughs> I'm like, I really love good light. And you, you can usually... Are you a real light, light whore? Like, you've got to have good light? I don't have to, but I, I just know... S- it's yeah, it's just important to me. Okay, I feel like it's it's, it's yeah. You'd rather have a well lit than like wait and find, discover, or like you just want some light. I mean, I don't mind finding good. I don't mind good found light, but you know, in some situations, it's just not possible unless you manipulate it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like sun right overhead at noon, shooting a portrait of someone. It just it gives me you know. I just no. it's cringe. I can't. Uh, give me a hammer and I'll hit my face yeah, with it. Yeah, There's no yeah. good to that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to do it, right? But That's why God made scrims, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then you need, you know, the scrim to be there and someone to hold it and, you know. Again, it's why God made assistance. Yeah, yeah. Then you need a client to pay for the assistant, you know. Yeah. Um, it's just the way it is. Yeah, light, light's very important to me. Okay. Yeah, some, probably too much, to be okay. honest. Yeah, I mean, that, I, that's... I've had to loosen up a bit because when I was first shooting advertising stuff I worried about light way too much and let other things not didn't pay attention to uh, some of the other things I should be right there's a balancing act right yeah because you can subject relationship lights yeah and you can try to find this area that you like perfectly and the person's got to be standing right there and looking this direction they can't move their chin and you can make it a situation where they're not comfortable and they can't move. So I've kind of moved towards trying to create lighting schemes that give some flexibility because sometimes people will come on set and they'll have their own idea of what, what they're going to do. And if you've already put them in a, you've already in your head said they're going to be right there and they're going to look this direction. They're not going to move, become very stiff and don't give them the chance to be themselves, you know, or for something unforeseen to happen. That's great. You know, when you first meet a subject, what's your routine? Do you have pieces you show for inspo? Do you, what, what do you do? What's your kind it's of... It's always different. Um, I rarely... Sh- well, when I first meet them, I won't show them anything. I usually wait till they get on set to show them stuff. I'll have some inspirational images or things we're going for, or maybe it's the layouts mm-hmm. for you know what we're trying to accomplish. Um, I always try to have some stuff that I've shot because I think, again, if you only have a little bit of amount of time to connect, if you can show them some things you're proud of and that they'll probably s- like or think that, you know, okay, mm-hmm. this guy knows what he's doing. Right. You'll win them over quicker. Right. Um, yeah. If you show a bunch of stuff of God knows who, you're like, yeah. well, we're going to try to recreate this. Yeah. Oh, you're Harry Benson, yeah. huh? Yeah. <laughs> Especially if they have someone that they look up to or they're friendly with. Or, I always try to find a connection that will make them comfortable, whether it's I've shot one of their teammates or I've shot them in the past. They might not remember. And I put right. up a photo, like one that I think came out really well of what we've done together before and remind them and show them. Or at least I shoot basketball. If you show yeah. a bunch of, you know, gymnastics, there's yeah. no connection. Yeah. There. You find some connection or right. someone 
that's in a different sport or or not even an athlete that you know that they enjoy, you know. Um, Is there something you want to shoot? Like right now, I give you a blank check and I say, what do you want to do? Uh, I, I mean, I would love to shoot – Interest. I just want to shoot people, interesting people, and um, the sports thing sort of just happens. Sometimes you kind of get pushed down a road because that's the jobs you're getting, and then that people see you do that, and that's what you do. Right. Just Those sort clients of, call. Yeah. Makes me know you're only shooting shoes and jogging pants or yeah. whatever the hell it is. Yeah. So I mean, I would love for it to be a little bit more diverse because um, I love the process of having the opportunity to meet people because of what we do. Even if it's a brief conversation, just being around interesting people is something I really enjoy. Uh, it's the fascinating, fa- absolutely fascinating part of our career. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, you doing this is kind of, you get the same thing out of it, right? I yeah. Mean, this opens the door for you to sit down with anyone that you find interesting. And that's part of why I like portrait photography. Is oh, it's the best. It gives you a reason to spend time with people you never would spend time with. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did a portrait with someone the other day, and now they're going to come on the podcast. Oh, that's and cool. It was not meant to be at all, but right. we had such a good time in the portrait that I'm like, I think I could like to sit down for a couple hours and hear yeah. about your life and what you do. Yeah, that's now, awesome. That's great when you make those connections in yeah. a portrait. Yeah, like that real quick with somebody. Yeah, it's one. I think just the best part of our job. I yeah. I mean, there's other great jobs, but I wouldn't trade it for what I do. Yeah. No, I agree. Most days I agree. <laughs> Some days I wonder what the hell I'm doing. But Well, do you have any advice for for young guys and gals coming up right now in the photo um, world? My advice would probably be to shoot as much as you can because it's easy to – because we all have to do other jobs to support us coming up as photographers, whether it's assisting – or some people may work at a camera shop or work in production mm-hmm. and you can get so busy doing that that you don't you stop shooting and i think that kind of stunts your growth as a photographer so i think if i could tell myself back then it would be to shoot more early on and keep shooting and f- just push yourself because again you can get so far away from the point you know Right. If you don't keep at it and keep, I mean, I know you have to have another job to support yourself as you're trying to develop a career in photography. But if you're not shooting, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Do you ever find yourself just going, you know what? I just want to go out and take pictures of landscapes or seascapes or trash cans or something where you're just <laughs> like anything else sometimes? Yeah. I mean, I don't have that as much as wanting to shoot something someone just for me whether it's like a friend of a friend or same kind of idea like kind of something just to get motivation going again and get back to kind of the you know why I got into it and kind of leave all the other stuff behind for a minute or you know to the side I mean if I see something interesting like a landscape or an object on the street I'll use my iPhone right but I don't I don't ever go out with a camera to shoot that stuff it just doesn't interest me as much as as portraiture does. I do it sometimes just to like not do anything else. Yeah. And sometimes I'm saying this on the podcast. I go without my family just yeah. for like three or four hours and just yeah go and be like, okay, I don't want to hear the phone. Yeah. I don't want to hear anybody complain about where we're eating. I just <laughs> need to just go. And if I take four photos, it's four photos. But yeah. I just need to just yeah go take nothing. 
I think my thing when I need to do that is I don't even want to have a camera with me. Okay. Because I need a break from, I think I think about photography so much that it's nice. That break I need is like leave the camera behind too and just leave it all behind. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just. Uh, like on vacation and stuff, of course, I, you know. Right. I'll bring a camera and. Know. document the vacation yeah, everything's fr- <laughs> well everything's fresh to you right like yeah. it's interesting when you live in an area you kind of take things for granted you go somewhere else and everything you see is new and inspiring so i i find myself shooting landscapes and objects and things like that more in those situations um than i do you know here in la All right places now you also. you've you've dabbled and you're getting into video yeah a little bit a little you, bit. Do you want to kind of move in that that direction? I'd like to. There are I, some pathfinders that are, you know, photographers that have moved yeah. into that. Because that used to be something, especially when I first started out, like, there was like, oh, no, there's no way. Yeah. Like, there's a separate world and you're not coming into our world. Yeah. Well, I mean, things have... Yeah, but it's evolved. Like, guys like overlap. Sam Jones have TV shows now yeah. and they're doing cinema and things like that. So... I, I enjoy that process. I've directed a few small things. Um I like it because it's more collaborative. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a DP usually you have, the, and everyone is usually really good at their little specific job. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like a bunch of people collaborating together that all take a lot of pride in their small piece of it. Right. Which I think is a fun process. Um, I think it, you know, it's like anything else. It's, I'd like to get into it more, but it's, you know, it's, it's tough right. obviously to, there's a lot of people that want to do the same thing. So, um, what's the future hold? I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I, I want to keep making pictures I'm proud of and figure out how to keep doing that. And the rest I think will just kind of happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have, I mean, I have goals in my career, things that I want to do for myself, but I've found that, thinking about the path too much specifically doesn't really do me any good can overthink it. And I I just want to stay motivated and, and stay interested in what I do. And then the rest will kind of play out. If someone wants to work with you, collaborate with you, where can they find you? Um, Probably best through my website with my contact information, DominicDesia.com. If someone wants to rent the studio or they're coming into LA yeah. and they need a place. Yeah. 14studios.com. Okay. Yeah. All right. How'd yeah. you get the name? So it's a lucky number. I was born on the 14th of March. My brother, June 14th and my dad, August 14th. Your so mother, and your mother's like the third or something. No, she's, she's the first. <laughs> she's got one of the two numbers. She's got one of the two. Yeah. So 14's always just been a number and I think 14 sounds good and looks good written out and. So it yeah. works. Yeah, it works. All right. Here's the last question. This is the most important question Uh-oh. of the whole podcast. I don't know if I'm ready. No, you're ready. You're okay. ready. You know this. Okay. When was the last time you bought baseball cards? I bought, what was it? I bought for my nephew asked me to get him hockey cards. It was probably six months ago. Hockey cards. Yeah. Who the hell looks at hockey well, cards? Well, his mom's Canadian. Oh. So. Oh, poor kid. Yeah. And he's playing ice hockey. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I try to get them, my nephews into it. They're into it a little bit, but it's sort of a, like they go in and out of being interested. But yeah, he, there was a, uh, 
I can't remember. I think it was Upper Deck something. There was something he wanted he couldn't find down in Orange County. He asked me to get it for him up here. Do you got a Mike Trout baseball card? I do not, oh, believe it man. or not. Got to get yeah. yourself a Mike Trout baseball yeah. card. I the baseball card thing has gotten so complicated. Oh, it's not. It's nothing like when we were kids. Yeah. It's nothing like it, it. It's just too much for me. Right. Like, there's all these, yeah. Off brands. There's not yeah. the tops and the flare like it used to be. Now there's like these weird ultra yeah. platinum gold. And every card has 12 different versions. Right. I will tell you what I do have, though, is I have that 1990 Upper Deck set. And I need, out of 800 cards, I think I need eight. Eight left? Eight who, left. who are they? Do you know? I could look it up on my phone. God, what if they're not with us anymore? Well, there's one that isn't, Bo Diaz. Oh. You know what happened to him, right? No, but I know the name. So he was a catcher for the Reds, I believe. Okay. And the set came out in, you know, like the players are from the year before. So he played in 89. The set came out in 1990 before the season started. Before uh, training camp, he was in Venezuela on his roof putting up a i think like a satellite dish and it fell on his head oh my god yeah so there was no way to get that one done so that i mean because he he died i think as a set was coming out so i knew from the beginning that i would be not be able to complete you're one man down i have something signed another card signed by him earlier an uh, earlier year and, um, and, and for reference for people, the satellite dishes you think of now, the direct TV dishes, those yeah. are very small. Yeah. Those dishes in 1989 were like the ones NASA uses yeah. to send signals yeah. out. Those things were huge. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the story. I mean, maybe someone's going to look it up and tell me I'm wrong. But it was something <laughs> like that, right? I might um, get some kind of notes in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not at He's all. He's a liar. He's, a, he's gored um, by a bowl. <laughs> oh, there's a picture on the Tigers. I can't remember his name now. That's just notorious. He refuses to sign autographs. He lives in Texas now, and I have this this fantasy of knocking on his door and convincing him to sign my card. Um, Excuse me, sir. You yeah. don't know me. I'm a grown-ass man. Yeah. I've been tracking you yeah. down since 1990. Yeah. I mean, maybe if I bring the rest of the set and show him, I mean, right. you know, I got I Keith got Joey Bell. I got Joey Bell. <laughs> Um, you can't be as bad as those guys. Yeah, one was on he, Seinfeld. He, apparently, he is. I, I wish I could remember his name so I could call him out for being such such a jerk. <laughs> um, who else? There's like a few other ones. I think Louis Meadows was a guy that played for the Astros for like three games, and, and he got a card. Yeah, because I think he was like a rookie prospect sort of guy, but that never really worked out. Panned out to be anybody. And I actually tracked down his like niece i think it was on instagram and and i'm still working on on he's he's around she says so i'm still working on getting getting that all right to happen there's seven guys you need to fill the i think set. it's seven yeah because the eight we're not getting it's just not gonna happen. oh yeah yeah sorry yeah. he's just yeah. he's not with us when when was the last time you saw a player and you said man i wish i had his autograph you know i don't i don't um i don't care about autographs anymore like I, there, I don't. There's no. I don't have any interest when I work with some of these guys. I think it, it's just that the idea that I set that goal of getting that whole set signed is the only thing that that just became interested. an accomplishment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I've never, I've never asked. I did ask. I asked Mike Trout. My nephews would not stop asking me to get them him to sign something right. for them. So I did. But I think that's the only time I've asked for an autograph from a subject. Um, and he was signing a bunch of other stuff 
at the time. And so I kids are the best. So like, obviously I'm with the angels for four years and my middle son and Mike Trout share the same birthday. So Malcolm would always like write him a card and I'd put it in Trout's locker or whatever. They meet them in Boston. We're in Boston. I bring the family out and my youngest son, Willem sees Mike Trout and he's like, I thought he was bigger (laughs) to him. That's amazing. I'm like, yeah, well, TV adds 20 pounds. Will, what do you yeah. want me to do? Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, that's how kids are. Yeah. I can't thank you enough for your time. This oh, is yeah. awesome. Your studio is yeah. fantastic. I'm I'm glad we got to do this. You've you've made some unbelievable images, and there's obviously more to come. Appreciate that. You Thanks mean, for coming. Yeah, this this has uh, been awesome because just to get a little backstory on, on Vinny and your life and the way images go down, I think it's going to be very helpful because I think people – get caught up in like things are so easy or things are so complex and it's just really you just gotta grind yeah and that's I what agree. I've always loved about you you just yeah. go 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 thank you I appreciate that yeah I mean, you know it's uh, it's a good thing to have between the balance of pushing those lines and getting editors to agree and see your vision right. and then being overly pest you know just like constant yeah of course and you're walking that line, man. You and Johnny Cash are right there. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> Thank you, Dominic. Thanks, Matt. I, appreciate I appreciate it. All right. All right. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dominic. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the like button and become a subscriber to the podcast. Remember, you can follow the podcast on Instagram and you can find all of our past shows at the website, justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.